General Baptist Ministries has been called by God to exist for the church. We aren't here so General Baptist can help us do ministry. We are here to help the church do ministry and to fulfill its commission by God, to make disciples of all nations, and to preach the good news to every man, woman, boy, and girl. We partner with churches because we believe that we can do more together than any one person or church can do alone. I'm Danny Donovan, President of General Baptist Ministries, and I want to welcome you to this episode of Doing Together. Doing Together is about sharing the ways that General Baptists partner together so that your church can fulfill its calling. So the podcast took a bit of a hiatus over the last few months, but we are excited to begin sharing weekly episodes with you again through the month of May, and maybe even a bonus episode or two that will get us up into the summer. In this return episode, we are uh, dropping it during Holy Week, and we wanted to share a conversation with you about the important themes of Easter, especially the resurrection of Jesus. So we invited a couple of guys that I enjoy talking to about theological topics. And the first of those is Mark Powell. Mark serves as the Vice President of Global Missions for General Baptist Ministries, and Mark is the longtime pastor of Pleasant View General Baptist Church in Risco, Missouri. Mark and I were also joined by Josh Carpenter, who is the lead pastor of Grace United General Baptist Church in Paragould, Arkansas. And Josh also will be the moderator for this year's General Baptist Mission and Ministry Summit in Evansville, Indiana, July 20th through the 22nd. Mark, Josh, thanks for joining us on this episode of Doing Together. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. All right, so this uh, podcast is going to drop the week of uh, leading up to Easter, so what we call Holy Week. Um, so as we start off here, Christian Holy Days are important, important to lots of things. Um, haven't always been important to Baptists. Sometimes we've not done any of them in historically, but we, we now celebrate especially Christmas and Easter so why do you think that those um, that holidays in general and holy days uh, are important that we should be celebrating them in the church? I think they're essential because uh, within those holidays, there's the core of the Christian message. And uh, it's so important that we uh, honor that essential message of, of Christ, uh, virgin-born, resurrected, crucified, coming again, all, all of those aspects are the core message of what the church is about, and these holy days bring us back to that core message and remind us what we're really about. And I think when we pay attention to the church calendar, it sets a rhythm for the life of the church uh, so that, that we don't miss those important messages and uh, those important doctrines that we hold um, in just a, the preaching schedule without those dates that are set. Uh, it can be easy to kind of get off on different tangents and miss those very important times where we focus on who Jesus is and, and what he did. Yeah, I, I, rhythm is an important one for me as I think about it. Um, I, I think it's important that we we really focus when we do, do uh, celebrate these holidays that we do it in a Christian way. I think that that's something we sometimes miss. We can kind of even get wrapped up with especially with Christmas and Easter, just following along with whatever the calendar as it's kind of expressed in American context looks like. So um, something I was, talk I was telling you guys earlier that some folks on the staff here were blown away uh, when we talked about the other day that 
that Christmas is 12 days and it starts on Christmas Day. And we tend to kind of follow the American one where on the 26th of December, we're like done and finished. Mm-hmm. And that Easter also is actually, Easter is like a 50-day celebration that ends with Pentecost, right? And uh, so to make the connection between those things, we there is a lot there for us to mine and to be able to, to utilize in our rhythm within the church, rhythm in our own spiritual lives. I think it's a, it's a good thing to stay uh, connected with those specific things. And Easter for me, especially, we're going to talk specifically about Easter today. Um, Easter is like the, the earliest celebrations we have. There's, there's evidence that within just a few years, the Christians were celebrating Easter in and around Jerusalem. So this is like this has a two thousand year history behind it. Mm-hmm. The church has been doing this a long time. So um, it's uh, it's it, I think it's important for us to to look at it and to be sure we're doing it in a way that's a Christian way. You know. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna get this statement. And you can react what you think about it. Uh, I would say that regardless of how much press like Christmas gets into the year that Easter is the most important holiday, though, that we celebrate all year long. So what do you think about that? Yeah, I would agree. I mean, when you think about uh, that, if the the message of the church, the gospel message is that message about Jesus, his resurrection is the climax of the story. It is the power of the story. And uh, to have the day that we celebrate that and mark that in our calendars is um, is very important. And it does make it the most important holiday. I mean, everything else could happen if you leave Easter out. There's no power in the story anymore. Right. Uh, there's nothing left, and there's really nothing distinct about the Christian uh, uh, movement if it's not for the resurrection. It makes all the difference. And so uh, it definitely makes it the most important. Yeah, Easter gives everything else meaning. Uh, Christmas has no meaning without Easter. Good Friday has no meaning without Easter. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, then none of it has any significance or importance at all. It all hinges on the resurrection that Christ rose from the dead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, uh, there was once a, a question that whenever I was teaching, um, I still teach some, but whenever I would ask students, All right, what happens to your, your, your faith, to your belief, if, there, if, for example, they found the bones of Jesus somehow? And... Uh, now my my response to that is it it all falls apart, mm. right? This is there is this one event that, is, that everything else must this has to be true or everything else is false, right? I think too when you talk, think about those other holidays like Christmas, which had such a cultural surrounding that you know it, you know so much of our economy is dependent upon Christmas. If you look at it, it's one. Stores count on going in the black is what right. happens around uh, Christmas and that celebration. That's because culture recognized the power of that story and leveraged it. And you start to see that happening with Easter. So you're seeing Easter being um, used more in the commercial aspect and built up. That's because there's power there. And it's interesting to me that secular culture can oftentimes recognize that when we fail to recognize the power of our own story yeah. to move people. And if you can move people to spend money, that's what they're looking for. It's the power of that story that does that. And sometimes we get so used to the story that we forget how powerful it is uh, when we proclaim that and people understand it. Um, so as we look at the, the resurrection 
message and and the things that go into that um, where I kind of leave this the specifics of the holiday components of it and we'll talk some more about the theology behind some of it so what's your what's like your favorite part of Easter your favorite part of the Easter celebrations uh, for me I mean we we've always had a uh, kind of a we we do communion on Good Friday and not Monday Thursday in 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 my church we have for years because um, I think it's important that we recognize the power of the crucifixion as well and and kind of separate these events from one another and um, I, that's always a very very special time of of the uh, of the season for me uh, to reflect on on the sacrifice itself. Uh, and then close it with that, not not move ahead to Easter until the appropriate time, and then come back on Easter Sunday to celebrate uh, the victory, to celebrate the resurrection. And uh, so those two components, obviously there, that is the story itself of, of Easter, but those two components have always been, I think, what it's really about. And then sharing that time of communion with, with the, the body of Christ is always very significant and very important for me as well. My favorite time about the Easter celebration is just a variety of jelly beans that are available in all the stores, <laughs> to be honest with you. That's, I look forward to that. It's, it is incredible. It is, and, you know, it, it gets better every year, you know, uh, different flavors. So I've enjoyed enjoyed that part of it. it from the church aspect and that celebration, I, I love the anticipation that builds. I mean, I love uh, trying to feed that, finding ways to feed that every year. Um, and, and, and in my early ministry, we would focus on uh, celebrating Monday, Thursday, and then Good Friday, and building that way. Uh, recently, I found that I was pulling too many people, too much time from people to make that work. So I've kind of adjusted that. But to be able to build up to that moment on Easter, and when you walk in the doors on Easter morning, whichever service folks are coming to, and to feel the anticipation, and then that first song hits, where we begin to celebrate and to feel the Spirit move. That's that's what it's all about. So it can be. It's all we, we always talk about our family that it's those two weeks leading up to Easter can be the most exhausting, but also the most rewarding on Easter morning. So I love the anticipation that builds. Yeah, that's good. The um, well, I grew up going my uh, to uh, Easter morning, Easter Sunday morning sunrise services. Mm-hmm. We still have churches that do the sunrise service thing, and uh, there have been times I've had a little bit of a love hate relationship with that, especially as a pastor. To get up and that early and to preach and my brain to still not be quite there yet. Whenever I have to stand up and talk, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna stand up and talk again in another two hours. Um, but there is something about that those services too that as I look back that there were some formative things that in my own experience of the wonder of what Easter and the gospel message that it proclaims is about that it's tied in my head to it. Um, to the point where I can't, I almost can't see a sunrise anytime without thinking of that that particular mm-hmm. moment. And it, for me, it was thinking about it and, and experiencing it, especially as a as a boy. Um, with my dad pastored the same church for a long time uh, over here near Fisk, Missouri, and we were connected with a couple of other churches that we actually worshipped together every week, every uh, month together. Um, my dad pastored Walnut Grove, and the other two churches were Pleasant Hill and Ash Hill. And Ash Hill is uh, between Fisk, Missouri, and Poplar Bluff. 
And on the road there, you see, because you see the, the graveyard, well, they had the sunrise service in the graveyard. And I have these, these vivid mm. moments of important spiritual moments for myself of hearing the gospel being preached, standing out in the graveyard with the background of the cross and the sun coming up behind it. And um, people hearing, hearing the gospel preached, hearing the, the songs sung there in that context and knowing that um, this is, it's, a, it's what all of life is ultimately about is this, the hope we see in the resurrection of Jesus. So um, it's a, it's a, that's an important one for me. Um, but I know not everybody loves those services either. I, I'm like you. I love the services. It's always the practicality of getting up early, doing a service, then having a huge breakfast, and then mm-hmm. turning around and trying to do Easter service after that. Uh, it could uh, lead to some... I mean, when you're the preacher and you're fighting to keep your eyes open yeah. because of how many biscuits and gravy you had right before, yeah. it can be, uh, be challenging. Yeah. But yeah, I love those memories. So... Um, but yeah, I, I'm like Mark. I'm like you too, though. Those um, the communion services. The first time I ever, I ever uh, was able to do communion after I was ordained was actually on an Easter Sunday morning at a sunrise service. Uh, whenever I was, gosh, I was uh, 19 years old, and it was at Liberty Hill, and they, they, Lester Clayton was the pastor there at the time, and he asked me to, to lead that sunrise service communion service and it was it's an important moment in my life too and I, I've always loved the the good Friday the Monday Thursday no services the foot washing services we are I, I we did those on Thursdays I know not all general Baptists do that but at my church we did and uh, so those are those are always fond of memories but they're also meaning they were meaningful events that kind of helped uh, me to be able to spend connect with the gospel message. Yeah, so. there have been some some special moments that have taken place, uh, you know, for me in my life, uh, connected with those services, with the washing of the saints' feet. Uh, it's, a, it's a practice that, uh, you know, really kind of reminds us not just of the gospel message itself, but what we're supposed to do with that gospel message yeah. and, and serving one another. And those have been some, some special moments. All right, so um, what do you, as we, we talk and we think about the resurrection of Jesus a little bit further, uh, in particular, the implications of that. So what do you think that the resurrection, if the resurrection, we've said that Easter is the, is the central event of the year for the church, but the, and the, but the gospel message, Easter stands at the core of it, then... What what does it say about what the Christian hope looks like if Easter is at the center of things? What does it what does it say about what it is that that uh, the, the gospel's doing, and what are Christians ultimately our hope? Where does it lay? Yeah, I think Paul said it best. Uh, you know, and then his when he elaborates on the resurrection in First Corinthians fifteen, he gets to verse fourteen, and he says uh, this proclamation, this 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 uh, this. Uh, declaration of the gospel of who Jesus is, his death, burial, and resurrection. If the resurrection did not happen, then our faith is empty. It's vain. Uh, it, it becomes the very core of the message. And, uh, and of course, the whole chapter elaborates on the fact that if he did not raise, then there is no resurrection of the dead, and we are, we are hopeless. Um, and so it really becomes the, the, uh, the core of not just 
the salvation message, but our hope as Christians in a resurrection. Yeah, I think you know, when I think about the, I think in terms of someone who's just coming to faith, and you know, so they're hearing the gospel and they're receiving that hope. Uh, what are they needing hope for? And I think it's different for different people in different seasons. Some people are stuck in in prison in a in a lifestyle that is devastating to them, and they're needing life right now. And then there's folks who are worried about life to come. And the resurrection is what offers hope in both of those instances, and that's yeah. its power. That it's not it's not just a, a future thing. It's not just a present thing. It's not just a past. It it, it encompasses all. That's the power of that moment. Um, the power of Jesus that he shows through that resurrection and the hope that that brings to someone who is, you know, needs deliverance from a, from a life that they're imprisoned in and to say, well, Jesus has already conquered everything that's holding you back. And even the very worst thing that you can imagine, the outcome, he's already conquered that too. And so you're free now. And you're also free of any fear of what's to come, mm-hmm. that, that even on the other side of death, he's already there waiting and has prepared a way for us. And so that all-encompassing hope, and no matter where we find ourselves, is is really the power of the resurrection for me. Yeah, yeah. I've heard you talk about um, the importance of, like Jesus talking about the He's the resurrection and the life. Mm-hmm. Is that is the you know pointing to the the right now component of the resurrection experience? Right. Yeah. When Martha, you know, approaches Jesus after Lazarus has died, and. And uh, in, in after some conversation, she says, yeah, yeah, I know my brother's going to rise someday in the resurrection of the dead. There's hope, you know. And I said this in, in a sermon recently that Jesus is not a someday Savior. Yeah. He's a today That's Savior. Good. And uh, when he says, I am the resurrection of life, he meant right now. Right now. Right now I am the resurrection and the life. Yeah. That's good. So uh, part of of all of this, even as, Mark, you were talking about with, regard to the resurrection of Jesus and connecting it in with the idea of the resurrection to come. Um, I think that that's a really important theological point that we can sometimes miss and get lost in, in all kinds of aspects of our, of our theology and our preaching Um, that the bodily resurrection of the dead, which general Baptists, our statements of faith say that we believe in that the bodily resurrection of the dead is an essential component of what our Christian hope looks like, that it is, it's not, it, it, it's not disembodied existence that we're looking for, mm. but that it is bodily resurrected, resurrected existence that we're, we're anticipating and we have hope for. So, um, you have any other thoughts about that? I, I recently did a, I did a, a conference where I talked about that kind of ad nauseum, what's really on my, uh, the forefront of my mind, but do you have any thoughts about like the importance of the resurrection of the body for Christian? I mean, that is the Christian hope, right? I mean, it, we are saved in 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 the present. We are people who are people of God. Uh, we are people who are people of the kingdom. Um, but there is this future aspect of it that we're all waiting for. Uh, that that the whole creation is waiting for the yeah. uh, the culmination of all of this, the overcoming of evil, and and the uh, the resurrection. I mean, that is our hope. Uh, it's nice. The things that we enjoy now in Christ Jesus are 
are, are wonderful. All, all spiritual blessings are, are in Christ Jesus because he is resurrected from the dead. But we still have this future hope that we're, that we're waiting for. Uh, as Scripture puts it, the creation is groaning for that moment. Yeah, Romans 8. Yeah. 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 Um, whenever I was, a few years ago, I was asked to be on a panel in Evansville, and it was an interreligious panel. Um, and they were talking about what happens whenever we die. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, I got asked to be on the panel as the kind of Christian representative in the group. And the, there was a, I remember correctly, there was a, a Hindu who was on, the, on there. There was a, um, a Jewish rabbi. There was a doctor. There was, it sounds like the beginning of a joke, doesn't it? <laughs> um, but anyway, as part of this uh, conversation, I, they had us give our little talk at the first, and then everybody kind of did, and then we kind of discussed some things. And uh, they were asking me, or I, I, I'd talked about the resurrection, that Christians were talking about what happens when we die. I'm like, well, we have a few things we can talk about in terms of like, you know, life after death. But the primary Christian proclamation about life after death is the resurrection, and that I'm most confident in my own thoughts and preaching about the the life after death. Whenever I'm talking about resurrected life after death, I think the New Testament is super clear about that. And um, so then, at the end of the conversation, where everybody had talked, the person that was the that was leading the panel said something like, "Well, so we all kind of agree that there is this kind of experience of." something after we die, and I raised my hand, I said, yeah, I'm not saying anything that these other people are talking about. I'm talking about something that's bodily and is different in, in, its, in its nature, which wasn't what the person was wanting to be able to say in that moment. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I think there's, if Josh, you, I think you said this a minute ago, that it's, it's the, the distinguishing aspect of the Christian message. The resurrection of Jesus was not like spiritual only, mm. right? He wasn't just, it didn't just like seem that he had a body after he'd raised from the dead, but he was bodily. I mean, the gospels go out of their way to have him eating and stuff. Right. Not jelly beans, but other right. things. Probably if he had them. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> but this, uh, the idea, the idea of, of Jesus being a bodied person after his resurrection, that's a central component mm. of the stories that are there. And, Paul's point from Mark, what you're talking about, it ends up being, yes, Jesus' resurrection was bodily, and ours will be too. I think the Corinthians were having problems thinking that the resurrection was already among them, so to speak, and that that was enough. But the point that Paul makes is, well, if that's all there is to it, then we're still in our sins. Right. I think it's a struggle still in the church today. I know when when we talk about resurrection we talk about what happens after death, and that's what people want to know. What happens right after I die? You know, what, what's going to happen? And, and I always want to say, well, whatever happens right after you die is temporary still. You're not there yet. You know, there's still more to come. The resurrection is still to come. And I think the struggle there is, is some of it, you know, is in some of the language that Paul uses when he talks about the spirit and the flesh battling. And we, I think that's we've misinterpreted that in the past that makes our understanding of resurrection difficult because we see our 
body is being bad and our spirit is being good. And well, the body dies, the spirit's free, and then everything's good. Right. Um, and but, that's an early Christian heresy. Right. <laughs> and, it, and, and we still fight it. I mean, it, it, as powerful as a resurrection is and as central it is to what we believe, uh, I think we still misinterpret it or miss the power that, no, this same body somehow by God's power, is going to live forever. It's going to come back and live forever and be resurrected. And um, it's so that throws up a thousand questions that people have that we don't have, many that we don't have answers for. Um, but that's um, also the mystery of it, which gives the, the story even more power that, that, we, get to, that we get to tell. Um, but I think, yeah, it's still something we struggle with. People struggle with what it means, what it looks like. Um, and I think that's why we still have to keep telling that story and having these discussions so it becomes clear that, yeah, it is this body resurrecting, glorified, you know, all the ways that we talk about it. I love that Paul takes the time to say, yeah, it's a resurrected body like Jesus. You know, he makes that comparison and points and says, you see, Jesus comes out of the tomb, still Jesus. Everybody recognizes him as Jesus, but he's not exactly the same. Yeah. You know, he's, it's he's new body. It's new body. He's doing things that he didn't do before. Um, and so that, that gives us some clues that, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be different, but it's going to be the same in a lot of ways too. And because it's creator God who is doing it, it's all things are possible. Mm -hmm. It, it, it doesn't matter whether they were buried at sea or buried in a grave or none of that really matters. We're talking about the God of creation who is going to resurrect these bodies of, of his saints, and it's going to happen. Nothing can stop it. Nothing can prevent it. It's mm -hmm. going to happen. Yeah. yeah. He made us out of dust once. Nothing says he can't do it again. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, the, the idea of it being, I love Paul, what you're talking about, that text. Paul also making the clear that the, this new body, he talks about it as a new body, but that it is it was, we were buried, you know, it was a, a corruptible body before it would be incorruptible mm. whenever uh, this resurrection body comes along. So the problems that we have had with sin have been overwhelmed completely so that they are no longer even going to be possible mm. at that point. It's a, it's an amazing, it's an amazing hope to, to see in all, in the mix of all that, um, that the, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, the the original creation, sin comes into the world. God puts them out of the Garden of Eden because He has, He does it in in hope, mm. right? He does it in hope because there is going to be you know this new resurrected body that will be over, will have overwhelmed the consequences of the fall. And if He had not put them out of the garden, they'd eaten from the tree of the, of life there then we would have been a, in a permanent state of fallenness. But because of what he did then and what he did in Jesus Christ, then we will be able to eat of the, the tree of life with, in our incorruptible state. And that, that means that it's, it's eternal. So it's a, it's, a great, it's a great hope. I, think, I, wish that, I wish people would preach about it more than they do. It's, it's so difficult to talk about, um, but we would prefer to talk about other things sometimes instead of some of these points. Um, and I think you're right, Josh. I think sometimes we have a little bit of Gnosticism still at work in our way of thinking about our, who we are, that we're, that physical things are evil and 
will be shed like skin and then we'll be able to have some, you know, like our soul is rattling around somewhere inside of our body and we'll be freed. And yeah, Christians have since basically the beginning have said that's an incorrect and inappropriate way of talking about it. Mm-hmm. So, um, is there any, I say that, is there anything else that you think we miss in our proclamation of the story of Easter? Or in, this, in the in the gospel message related to the resurrection, think something you think we miss, or something you think we ought to talk about more that we don't. We talked about this in our pre conversation um, a little bit, and that is the idea of Emmanuel, uh, God with us. And you know, God has has attempted through the centuries to remind us that He is with us. You know, the the, the pillar and the fire and the and the glory and the temple and uh, and then you get to the prophecy of Emmanuel in, in Isaiah chapter 7 and 8, and King Ahaz is at a place where he's in, he's in a difficult situation because Israel and Syria have, have conspired against Judah, and he's fearful, and, and, and he doesn't want to believe that God is going to give them victory. And, and in that context, Isaiah reminds him with this, with this prophecy that had that fulfillment at that time as well as the fulfillment in Christ that, you know, he is Emmanuel, he is with us. And we're reminded of that in the Christmas story. And then when we get past the crucifixion and past the resurrection, the very thing that Jesus says is, take this message to all nations and I am with you. I am Emmanuel. Mm -hmm. That doesn't change. It has never changed. But yet we find ourselves in a situation where we too are fearful, we we we, it seems like we, it's our tendency to get to this place where we fail to acknowledge or remember, and it's demonstrated by our fearfulness, which is a, which is, just a, really a lack of faith that God is with us, that He is here with us now, and and I think the whole one of the whole points of the resurrection is to remind us it's not over it continues the yeah. story continues and that he is present with us and he's empowering us for a purpose and that is this proclamation of this good news to all nations yeah that's good we uh, that even in, because of the resurrection of Jesus even whenever people ask the questions about life after death what happens whenever i die I have confidence to be able to say, well, I'm with him. Mm-hmm. Right? That's, that's something that never ceases to be true. The resurrection makes that an absolute, that there is not a moment that I am not with him. That um, re- Reflecting back on Psalm 139, which was one of my favorites about, you know, though I go to the, down to, the, to death itself, you are there. And um, I think that there's some something to, to, and Mark, I think you're right, I think there's something there that we need to not miss. I also think that it's really interesting to look at the um, the story of that. All, all of that is really magnified in Matthew, right? So that if you look at Matthew's gospel, it's the only gospel that points out Jesus was Emmanuel at the beginning. And remember, that's where you also have the Great Commission Matthew clearly is doing that thing. That's not just something we look at and go, isn't that neat? I mean, Matthew is like making sure, hey, by the way, do you miss this? It's like the first point and the last point, point. and everything hinges on this, that he is with us. Right. I also think sometimes uh, we talk about that as a comfort. I sometimes also have wondered if the Great Commission, Jesus saying, I'm with you, is also like, I'm not leaving you alone. You better get it done. Right. Right? Right. 
So yeah. um, there's you go back to the least of these statements. Yeah. You know, you're reminded that, oh, yeah, he's with you when you're not paying attention. He's with you when you're not doing the right thing. Yeah. Uh, he's the one you're not doing the right thing to. Yeah. You know, so it's. And Matthew makes all of those things. Those are all texts of Matthew 18, right. Matthew 25, right? All those. So, uh, wow. God is a whole lot smarter than we are sometimes whenever we start putting these things together. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we probably should pay attention to that. Scriptures never cease to be amazing in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, Joshua, you asked the question about, like, is there anything you think we miss or things that we don't emphasize? Do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, I, one of the, the aspects of the resurrection I love is just the idea of redemption. That he takes us these things that are broken and done and reuses them, makes them. So you even look at the body of Jesus, hmm. that when it's placed in the tomb, it's done. I mean, it is his, his physical body has suffered beyond measure, you know, and, and you think about the shape that his body was in, which I know yeah. is a morbid thought, and I don't mean to be gruesome in that, but it was useless. It was done. It was broken. It was it, There was no amount of medical attention that could be given to him in that moment that would mm-hmm. have made him better. Right. Uh, but the re- power of the resurrection redeems that broken body and makes him whole again yeah. so that he walks out on his own power and does everything that happens. Um, and so when you take that same understanding and say, well, if he can do that with a physical body, what can he do with your soul? Yeah. What can he do with your life? What can he do with that broken, um, uh, that brokenness that you have? Uh, that same resurrection power applies and changes us. Yeah. And, and I love that part of the redemption. And then when you take that and apply it to you go an even broader scope and apply that to all of creation. And, you know, when we say that when Jesus returns, he makes all things right, it's that same resurrection power that makes that possible. Yeah, and everything that we look, we tend to look around and go, everything is so beyond hope at this point, and there's no, there's nothing, what, 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 we just needs to end and be done with it and shed it. Mm -hmm. That's not the gospel, right? The gospel is that, no, God, whatever it's beyond hope for you to do anything with, it's not beyond what he is able to do and what he is intending to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a that's a great point. Um, the the idea behind even I, I think I want to tr- kind of transition to talk about a little bit about the church a little bit here, but um, I, I look at the church in that regard too. It's like we we tend to look at the things that we do, and it's almost like the church has to be perfect or it can't be used, or a person has to be perfect or they can't be called. Um, or we, we just see all of them, all of the, the aspects of the church that don't reflect who he is and how broken we still are. And we see the, you know, even leaders that we look around and go, well, this is, you know, some of the people who have fallen or whatever. We, we tend to look at those stories that way, but I'm never, I never cease to be amazed at how God is able to take whatever that that issue is whatever the sin that is come, that has come in and destroyed things that's never beyond the hope of what God can accomplish and how he can use it to do amazing things right. and easter easter makes that brings that out to the front and center and says if you think that god is ever finished then you're you're missing the point yeah and it's often in those moments of the great of our greatest hopelessness if it's the right way to say it that that's when he shows up and does that. If you look at the story of Lazarus, that's exactly what Jesus does. He stays away until it is absolutely hopeless. There's no other way this could happen unless God intervenes, and that's when he shows up. Yeah. And he says, now I'm going to show you something greater than you've ever seen before. Yeah. Um, 
I just I thought about I said this to you guys before also uh, when we were kind of doing this more talking about what we're going to talk about today but I wanted to to kind of reflect a little bit about the church and what does the what does the the resurrection of Jesus say about what the church is and how it lives in the world and I'm I'm been I, I pointed out in our conversation and that like every one of the stories of what Jesus does after the resurrection are things that kind of point towards what God is going to do now through the life of the church, that the resurrected Jesus and the body of Christ are connected to one another. Mm-hmm. Do you have any any thoughts about the, the way that, that the resurrection of Jesus says something about what the church's mission now it looks like in the world? Now, there's absolutely a recurring theme in the post-resurrection appearances. I mean, Jesus comes to the, to the disciples on Emmaus, and then later he meets with them and the disciples, and, and he reminds them that this message is to be proclaimed to all nations. And, mm-hmm. then, and then it comes to the Great Commission, and he reiterates that again, that there is a purpose here. There is something, there is something greater than yourselves at stake here, and that is the nations, that we are to proclaim this this good news, this salvation to all nations. And that becomes the, uh, the mission of the church. And, and I, I suspect that there's no way the disciples could have ever imagined that the church would become what it is today because they, it, it, it's a miracle. It's miraculous. It uh, the, the whole story of Revelation and the whole story of, of the revelation of the message of the gospel in, in different cultures and different contexts it's absolutely a miraculous story, but that's what we've been called to be faithful to. And Jesus reiterates that over and over again uh, in his ministry and in his post-resurrection appearances. And that's what we, sh- we must be doing. We must be proclaiming this good news. And I think that's it. Yeah, I think we are, you know, maybe two, two sides of that is that we are to be, the, our job is to be proclaiming that story, you know, in in. There's a lot of messages. You know, we preach at least 50 sermons a week if, or a year, if not more, and they all have to be tied to that message. They all have to come back to that hope or there's no power in them. Uh, yeah. There's no human will that can fix ourselves. There's no problem that we have that right. we can figure out on our own without the resurrection power uh, being applied to our lives. And so that proclamation is so important, but then it's also showing it, you know, letting people see what that, to be what you said earlier, a resurrected people to see that difference. And I think those things have to always be hand in hand. You know, I don't buy, I don't, I, one of my least favorite memes that we see that go around, some phrase have been around for a long time is that your life is the greatest sermon that people will ever hear. I'm like, no, not unless the sermon is preached. That Jesus. Life, right. It has to, you have to attach the message to the life and that's where the power is at. The life needs to show it. I think we see that even in Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, he still shows up and he eats with them. He walks with them. He goes to the beach and cooks a meal for them. He sits with Peter and has that conversation and says exactly what you were saying. If you love me, you'll feed my sheep. This goes. This keeps going. And, uh, and so uh, to be able to show that difference the resurrection's made in our lives and then say, and this is why I'm different. This is what's changed. This is where the power's at. I, I think also we... we since we do 50 sermons a year, 52 Sundays a year, sometimes we have this tendency to forget why we worship on Sunday. Mm-hmm. What, what, what changed? What, why, why this whole story changed yeah. from, from the Sabbath to the first day of the week? And, and, and we do it every Sunday as a reminder that He is risen. 
that he rose from the right. dead. It's not just an Easter celebration, although that's important. It is a weekly celebration of who Jesus is and what he has done and what he has accomplished and the, and the essential element of the resurrection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's good. Every Sunday is a little celebration of the resurrection and, and a proclamation of its, of its power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good, Mark. I think a lot of folks don't know why we why we worship on Sundays, and they, they some, that is something that sometimes gets missed. Mm-hmm. Um, Sunday's not the Sabbath day. Sunday is the resurrection day. Right. Yeah. My favorite thing is to say it's a feast day. That's right. So every I mean, <laughs> all right now I'm gonna get wonky for a second because that's who I am. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we we're we're if if you celebrate Lent. Right, mm-hmm. Lent is uh, the the season leading up to Easter. To Easter and um, Lent is supposedly forty days long, but if you count the days between Ash Wednesday and Easter, there's forty five days. So why are we call it forty? Because you don't fast. They're not, the Sundays are not fast days, even during Lent. Right. They're always feast days because they're always celebrations yeah. of the resurrection. Carbs don't count on Sunday. That's, that's, that's exactly. our house. That's why I love going and visiting churches and them doing church dinners because none of that matters at all. Yep. There's, I, I don't know. Maybe I, maybe I shouldn't say that because <laughs> you know, that's not true. Um, but I, I do appreciate all the church dinners I get to go I to. Bet, so, yeah. Um, all right. So one more, one more point I want to just kind of throw out on the table and see your thoughts about it. So, General Baptist, we say that we we believe that the work of Jesus. To, to do the to do the work of salvation, which going back to our statements of faith, we say that by the way that that salvation is done through and accomplished by the life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and intercession of mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. And not just one piece of the story, but it's the whole of everything that He does. But uh, I want you to we say that this is for all people. So, what do you think that 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 means? In terms of this message of the gospel we see in Easter, what is it to say that that what Jesus does on Easter Sunday is for everyone? I think we've given some indications of that, but I have any interest in your thoughts about it? Yeah, I mean, my, my I guess one of my favorite things about being General Baptist is get to emphasize that that that's our identity. Yeah. We are an everybody people. We believe Jesus did what He did in every aspect for everyone, and that when He walked out of that tomb, He did it with every person in mind uh, that he was coming out for them and offering them that, that redemption power that we talked about earlier. Um, and, and that's the hope, right? It's not really hope if it's not for everyone. It can't be because you don't know. How does I know if that's hope for me? No, it's hope for everyone. That's what makes it uh, that openness and, and awareness there. Um, I don't know if I have much more to say than that, but it's that um, I think there's a lot of powerful individual words in the Bible um, but when it says everyone, that's that's powerful. Yeah. I, I think that we emphasize the reality that the incarnation has purpose and that that purpose is a priestly purpose and that, you know, Hebrews elaborates on this idea that, uh, that, 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 that uh, Jesus Christ is our high priest is like no other. It's better than anything that the Old Testament could establish. It's it's better because he is our intercessor, because he is our sacrifice. Um, he he is this high priest that it, it's all wrapped up in him. 
and uh, as as General Baptist, we we acknowledge that he is he is the high priest, and that we are all priests, a, a priesthood of believers who are trusting in him. But I think I think that message of of the statement of faith just reminds us that um, that that yes, there is this core proclamation. But there is also this reality that that he continues to intercede for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And and we 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 are reminded that again that he is always there for us. Uh, that his ministry continues as our high priest, and that that is uh, such a, a powerful message, and and one that we cannot we cannot forget. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. You connect. You connect all the ongoing work of Jesus is only possible because of the resurrection of Jesus, and um, but the this idea that I will, we kind of pointed at this a little bit earlier that I will never encounter a person. I will never meet somebody for whom not only did Jesus die for them, but that their life is redeemable and. The object of the resurrection's power. Yeah, isn't that powerful? Yeah, mm-hmm. that there's never a person that I will encounter. No, even the people that are that don't that we don't get along. Mm-hmm. Right? Even the people that I I want to write off because it would be easier for me to write off, or people whose lives are so messy that I have no idea what to do with it. That those people are ones that Jesus was raised from the dead so that they would have life and have it everlasting and to have it abundantly in ways I can't even imagine or think. The, the amazing thing to me ultimately about the resurrection is that it comes out of nowhere. Mm. Right? There's no real anticipation of this in, in, in Jewish life. Not the, not, there were, they had ideas about resurrection. They had no idea about a resurrection of a Messiah. Mm. But this, it, came, it comes directly out of... Because it comes out of nowhere... It shows the power of God to do what we can't even imagine or think. And when we think that something is hopeless, it's never for him. Mm. Whenever we think that things can't get in, can't get better again because uh, we can't see a way out, it, God's not surprised, and God is still doing what God does. And uh, when we think that even when we think the church is done, Jesus is still able to say, "But I will build my church, and there's nothing that will be able to stop it." Mm. And so the resurrection makes all of that uh, crystal clear. So it's good. Well, guys, thanks for uh, sitting around and talking for a little bit about the, the resurrection and about Easter. Appreciate the conversation. Yeah, it's good. I enjoyed it. Thank yeah. you. Thank you very much. Enjoyed it. I hope that listening to this conversation today has sparked some of your own reflection about the wonder, beauty, and power of the resurrection of our Lord. And if you are listening during Holy Week, I pray that your remembrances and celebrations this week will draw you even closer to the one who is the resurrection and the life. So thank you to Mark and Josh for sharing their thoughts with us in this episode. In upcoming weeks, we have some terrific conversations that will drop in our weekly Doing Together podcast. So if you have not already, I want to invite you to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you use to access our content, just so you don't miss out on anything. Also, let me encourage you to leave us a review. Doing so helps others to find us. Thanks for joining us. We will see you on the next episode of Doing Together.